All right, hello, we are here at MDAC 15 to Oz, I mean 15 to Life, um, and we are happy to be joined by uh, J. Michael Tatum. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Of course, it's our pleasure. Um, so what have you been working on lately? I have been a very, very busy bee. I, uh, let's see, what have I got going on this week? Um, well, I'm here, for one. That's a, that's a big deal. Right. It's a big deal, actually. Yeah, this you're, is, you're a big deal. This is, no, 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 I'm not a big deal. I'm, uh, people think I'm a big deal, and I've been writing that, that phantom for ages, but I, Impact, big deal. There's like a million people here. A million people. And they're all in front of me in line to get the elevator. Um, that's, that's factual. Yeah, that's factual. Uh, but I love it. No, I let's see. But what I'm working on, I am in Tokyo Ghoul, which is uh, season two is simulcasting right now, which is really cool. I play Skiyama, kind of the part I was born to play, which I'm not sure what that says about me as a person, but let's just go with it. Um, I was also back in the director's chair for a little while to, to work on Tokyo Ghoul uh, with Mike McFarland, dear friend of mine, also great director. And I have been writing the simultub uh, adaptations of Assassination Classroom, which another MTAC alumni, Sunny Strait here this weekend, is Koro-sensei in. Uh, free, uh, Eternal Summer is coming out soon. I got to work on that as both writer and, and Ray, the character who wears glasses and is a little <clears throat> smart-assy. And effeminate. I don't know what the casting directors are trying to tell me, but it seems to be the trope I most comfortable with. Uh, yeah, there's that, and there's. Oh, I just kicked the table. Oh, well, there goes your audio. Um, <laughs> we, we have planes going overhead. Yeah, planes right. going overhead. Wow, I don't hear them. It's 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 my, it's my, <laughs> well, not right now. Not right right now. Do we all like duck and cover when the planes come overhead? Can we do that? Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff. There's a, there's a few things I'm working on right now that, that I cannot talk about that I that uh, if you were to catch me like next week I could, which I'm really excited about. Um, uh, but those those are big deals too. So we'll I'll just allude to them and say we get to very happy to get to revisit some old territory in new ways uh, that'll be announced that's soon. A, that's a hell of a hand. Da da da. Um, yeah, I like to be that guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, uh, Kamisama Kiss season two is is uh, simul dubbing right now, so I get to reprise the role of Tomoe and uh, lots of lots of fun stuff. They keep me very very busy back home in Texas. I don't have much of a life. It's do you do you need to go? Should you even be here? <laughs> no, please. They're actually looking for me right now. I'm just here oh, well, because I took refuge. We'll, we'll, we'll tell them you're somewhere else. Huh? Yeah, yeah. They'll find me eventually. By the way, but it's okay. We've got at least half an hour before they catch wind. So what first led you to acting? Uh, well, I, I kind of hit acting in waves. So I'll, I'll tell, I'll kind of tell two stories. There was a story of how I found it as a kid, because I did. I, I kind of fell in love with acting when I was a child. And then I found it again as an adult uh, after I had kind of turned my back on it for a while, because, uh, well, I'll get to that. So when I was a kid, uh, I was actually... Uh, had the this this incredibly pronounced speech impediment, a stutter, and it was so bad that I rarely spoke. I know, right? It's okay, I've been making up for lost time ever since. But because of the stutter, I had speech therapists, and one of them happened to have ties to the theater, and we found that if I could recite something, uh, say a piece of Shakespeare or a piece of drama or whatever, that the stutter tended to disappear. So she encouraged me to pursue as a child. Uh, stage, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of community theater in in the area where I grew up in Dallas. So I was never, you know, uh, for some reason I was just never nervous going on stage in front of people if I had material to read from. If I had to be spontaneous, no, forget about it. But if I if I could commit something to memory and read it, you'd never know that I had a stutter. So I pursued theater because it sort of literally taught me how to speak. 
and it gave me a voice. So I did this for years and years and years, and then that terrible time in everyone's life when you're in high school, and they're like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life comes, and you have to feel like you have to make this decision when you're completely unqualified to make most decisions. And so I decided I didn't want to pursue acting because I think it takes a lot of insanity and a lot of courage to pursue that kind of, uh, that kind of career. And I, I've got the insanity down, but courage not so much. So I actually pursued a whole other career in a very relatively safe realm of marketing and I hated it. I wasn't very good at it. That's not to say that I had anything against the people I worked with. I just did not belong there. And I did it unhappily for the better part of a decade. And then one day, out of the blue, I had known this gentleman named Christopher Bevis who worked at Funimation, the Dragon Ball folks. Of course, I knew who they were. I was a big anime fan myself, so I thought what Chris did for a living, which was directing for them, uh, was really cool. Never had designs on him to be an actor because I didn't think in those terms anymore, so it's not like I had him over the house and was like, hey, so, Christopher, how are you doing? Uh, what do you think of this, uh, this tone? Uh, get, shall I get you some Shiraz? No, it was never, ever like that. <laughs> i just be like, oh, that's really cool. We usually argued about comic book stuff because I'm also a big comic book nerd. And out of the blue, one day, he just decided to call me. I'd known for about three years at the time, two, three years. And he calls and said, hey, um, so I'm working on this show called Samurai 7. And I need some new voices because my line producer is kind of telling me I'm using too many of the usual suspects. So I know you have an acting background. It's been a few years. But what the hell? Why don't you get in and try out? And if you suck, we'll laugh about it and we'll never speak of it again. But just do me a favor. Come in this Sunday. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. You're so sweet to ask. No. Uh, because I was terrified. I told him I didn't have any any experience on Mike, all my experience was stage, and even that was years behind me, so I said, no, thank you, but no, and then he called me again the next day and said, so I'm working on a show called Samurai 7, I'm looking for new voices, They're completely oblivious to the fact that we <laughs> had the conversation the day before, and this, this went on for two weeks until he started very nice, Bevan's a very sweet guy, uh, was, and then he sort of, t it sort of, what began is, hey, so I've got this role I kind of have you in mind for. I'd like you to come read for it because I think I can work with your voice. Slowly became, if you don't come in, I'm going to break your goddamn kneecaps. One or the other. Which is it going to be? So I finally say, he, and he said, look, it's better if you saw. He finally made up some egregious lie. that Look, you're not, you're not going to get the part. I'm just, I need a new warm body to get in there to audition because my line producer is, me, 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 me. It's better if you suck because then I can, I can totally justify that as to why I use the same suspect. So just come in, suck, and just do me a favor. It'll take four hours of your life, and, and that's all. I'll take you out to dinner afterwards. So I went in very, very reluctantly, under protest, and four hours spent in the booth never having done this before and dubbing was such a bizarre creature i was like what are you how i really that flaps okay so we're calling those flaps okay blah but i gotta i've got to tighten this up i've got to read this i've got to go from this highly highly technical thing called a dub script which looks nothing like you know a, a script for say a, a television show or or uh you know a, a playbook it's it's all very very technical and put up in these in these rope with time codes and it just it looks very imposing it looks like a piece of it looks like a blueprint and I learned how to read it very quickly. And Bevins just suddenly became the biggest son of a bitch I'd ever met in my life. He was scary. Like, why are you ruining my show? They're like, get the line writer. I'll kill this puppy. I mean, it was dreadful. <laughs> and this went on for four, four hours. And it was absolutely exhausting. And finally, he said, all right, out of the booth, monkey. I came out of the booth confident that I had screwed everything up exactly as I was meant. And that he would never bother me again. And I could get on with my shitty life in marketing. And... He had a bunch of papers in front of him that I had to sign. They were all non-disclosure agreements. 
So I thought. I didn't read them very closely. My first mistake. And as I'm signing them, I said something glibly to the effect of, how the hell do you people get anything done if it takes you four hours to audition every single person? And he's like, oh, it didn't, honey. It took like five minutes. We've actually just recorded the first six episodes, and you're now an actor because you just signed a contract. Screw you. <laughs> and, and that is how it started. And, and that's, so I was, I was basically tricked into my career. And then, and then the writing and the directing kind of followed because the more you do, the more you kind of get to do. And slowly but surely, I realized, oh, I can do this full time now. Holy crap. If only, if only we were all so lucky to be seduced. I know. Whenever, it's whenever people ask me, like, how do I become a voice actor? I'm like, I am not qualified to answer that. I do not follow in my footsteps. It does not work Get coerced. Yeah. yeah, just waste, you know, waste 10 years of your life and then just wait. And then say no when someone asks you. You know, that's, that's what I did. Work for me. It'll just happen. Throw them in a potato yeah. sack. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> that, now, that said, I, when, once, once I did start getting work, I, I started taking classes and studying more and kind of getting myself, like, kind of reacclimated into the ins and outs of the craft because I wanted to take it very seriously because I felt like someone had given me this chance. I felt like a little, you know, straight dog that had been taken in out of the cold and given a nice warm bed and a, you know, bowl of food. Uh, so I took it very, very seriously. So I, it was just complete crazy, crazy good fortune that I had no right to uh, that got me into the business. But, but I like to think it's, it's, my, uh, it's my charming personality and my, my work ethic, both of which are complete bullshit, um, that have kept me here. <laughs> God bless you. Um, <laughs> You, you mentioned that. Not likely, you, but. <laughs> whatever. I mean, you know. Um, anyway, uh, you mentioned you were, you were a longtime fan of anime even before you, you came to work at Funimation. What, right. what are some of the shows that you enjoy? Uh, I, I, I'm going to reveal my age. So, Voltron and Battle of the Planet, Star Blazers, like that stuff. Silverhawks. Does anyone remember Silverhawks? So, so uh, Thank you. okay. Thank then, you. then you and I are going to get along just fine. Yeah, it was that first, not the, it wasn't the first wave of anime, but it was the, it was the wave that they brought over and called Japanimation. Yes. Back when you remember having to go to like the mom and pop video stores I, my, and they kept it behind the black curtain with all the porn and those clamshell yeah, I, cases. I was about to say, my experience was I had to drive an hour to the closest mall and then. It was it was in like Camelot when they when that was still a thing, and it was wow. always it was always between there's one section that was Disney and then two sections over was porn and that section in between was anime. anime. <laughs> it's like it was it's like anime is somehow a bridge from Disney to it, porn. I guess that makes sense. It was, <laughs> Depending it was on the show, it was, it was a video gradient. <laughs> but I remember that. I remember like then kind of getting back into it a little later with my buddies in college and watching things like Fist of the North Star and Crying Freeman and and like a bunch of shows I don't care to repeat now because they were terribly dirty, and I was uh, confused. Oh, uh, uh, now Not you long, got interested. <laughs> like Mouse is on that list somewhere. <laughs> May or may not have watched Doom Megalopolis, but that's that's not that's not that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot of those stuff, and then and then I was out of it for a while because I think the the next big wave of mainstream anime that came over was was more geared towards children and stuff mm-hmm. like Pokemon and and uh, things of that nature. And so and and by that time, you know, a wonderful uh, franchise Pokemon, but I wasn't its audience, you know, right. because I was in my twenties by then. And so I just kind of felt like, oh, whatever, anime is not for me anymore. But then I found Cowboy Bebop, and that was the thing that got me. I'm like, oh, this anime, holy shit. And that was exactly like what, like when I, holy shit, every every frame of that show got a holy shit out of me. That love that show. So just six, or I don't know what that frames per second anime is, if it's 30 or 60. 
30 holy shit thir- per second. Thir- yeah, 30 holy shit <laughs> That was what Cal Boogie loved to me. That was, that was a red letter day for me, was getting to meet Steve Bloom when I suddenly realized, I'm a voice actor. Holy shit. He's a nice dude. He's the nicest guy. He's so genuine and so, like, so kind and so just funny. Funny, funny man. And I could just listen to him read a phone book. <laughs> Preferably in bed next to me, but I mean, you know, one well, can dream. Hey, now. <laughs> you had a question. I did. Okay. And now we go to you. And, and if it's, can you say the line from this show, I'm going to just reach no, over there and, no, and strike no. you. Don't ask me to yodel, please. Oh, no. We've been there. That, that was interesting. But that was, that was distressing. But no. <laughs> you still have the rabbit? What? The rabbit? The you rabbit. Oh, the ra- oh, yeah, the, that was fine. If they just want me to hold the rabbit, that's fine. <laughs> Yodeling, that's it. That's, I'm like, wow, you, okay, that's a choice. But no, um, <laughs> my name's Jessica, it's nice to meet you Hi, and Jessica. talk to you. Um, I'm from National Arts Magazine, we're a little local magazine, and I've been talking about the art of cosplay. So I've been cool. talking to all the people around here, and, you know, to them, cosplay means, you know, coming out of their shell, becoming someone that they're not, yeah. and it's like this really important thing to them, and it means so much. So I was wondering... You know, from behind the characters that inspire all of this, what does cosplay mean to you? Well, I'll tell you, when uh, I've been coming to conventions now for, for about 10 years, and they are they're absolutely one of the best things about what I get to do for a living, because voice acting, by and large, and every other facet of the business is mostly anonymous. I mean, you might we might have a few standout performers that are that are known worldwide, like, you know, Don LaFontaine, the late, great movie guy, um, people like that. But voice actors tend to just be, they're, they're not known. They don't, they're not recognized on site. You know, it's, they're not, they don't kind of have that celebrity that we associate with actors in films or television. Um, but with anime, it's very different. Like, the, 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 the fan base is so dedicated, and they know you and your voice, and they appreciate, you know, everything that we do, and, and we appreciate everything they do. So there's this relationship. So when I come to conventions, yeah, I feel kind of like a rock star. It's kind of hard going back to the real world where no one gives a damn. Um, you know, in the real world, I'm just a guy wanting my Starbucks, and I don't care. But if, you know, but I mean, it's, it's here, it's different. But one of, the, one of the chief reasons I love it is because I think conventions have this very specific role to play in, in the social lives of teenagers, um, especially awkward teenagers, of which I was one, so these are my people. Um, and it gives them a place where they can be themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and teenage, the teenage years are hell on earth for the best of us. Like, it is a white-knuckle ride through the worst years of your life because you feel awkward, you can't find yourself, maybe people make fun of, maybe people that you look up to make fun of you for stuff that you just happen to like, or, or whatever, maybe your family doesn't get you, maybe you're struggling with sexual identity crisis of some kind. I mean, there's all these things that can happen, and it's so difficult. We had such a hard time in life because everyone's anxious about... What are you going to do? And you're kind of led to believe that every choice you make now in this particular age when you're 17 is going to affect your permanent record, whatever the fuck that is. Um, you know, and it's all bullshit, of course, but it's, you know, it's, it's what you believe because it's what you're bred to believe. So teenagers are really, really hard. And I love the idea of being part of something that gives these kids some place where they can just let go of all that stress, let go of all that negativity. And as you say, in the instance of cosplaying, um, they can be themselves, ironically. You know, they can step out of their shell by putting on a costume. As an actor, I understand that because that's what led me to acting. As I said earlier, 
you know, I wouldn't have found my voice on my own, but because I was given the opportunity to play various characters and discover their voice in me, it brought me to myself in a way that I never would have expected. And that's what acting is. You know, people are often attracted to it as a profession or as a craft because they think, you know, it's a way that I can just not be me. I can get away from me and just be something else because I don't like being me. Me sucks. Me is something no one wants to look at or deal with or care about. You know, I want to be this character because they're heroic or because they're evil and wonderfully self-actualized, you know, whatever. So, but, but it's, it's so they feel like acting is a way for, they, for them to sort of get out of their own skin and be something else. But they find out, as we all do, that in order to be, a, you know, to bring that character to life or whatever, whether you're voicing them or whether you're cosplaying them or whatever, um, it's not a going away from yourself. It's going deeper in and finding the commonality. And I think that what I see with, with cosplayers and what I love so much about is one is the wonderful craftiness of it. It's like becomes, I mean, they totally, some of them just really, many of them, in fact, just have it down to the level of art. Where what I mean I can't kick a spool of thread down the goddamn stairs and they come with these amazing things and I'm like I'm just a crazy guy in a padded room talking to himself. What you do is actually like contributing, you know, because you walk down the street or something and, and you like suddenly you're this burst of color in this terrible gray landscape that everyone turns and looks at and maybe you brightened everyone's day or you're just part of this this photo shoot or whatever. But you become uh, I'm realize I'm rambling because I feel very passionately about this, but. I love the fact, things like anime and, and television, well, really good art, I think, just as a person that appreciates drama, is character-driven. And what I love about cosplay is what it says about the quality of the shows the kids are watching. Because they're not dressed as plot twists or explosions, they're dressed as characters. You know, they're dressed as people, and, you know, or you know, maybe they're not human, but they're, you know, they're people, they're characters that they find, that they are able to sort of get their heads around and so doing find themselves in the process. And not only does it help them be more self-actualized, uh, it helps them reach out to other people because when you, when you are able to cross that threshold and, you know, in, from yourself to yourself, you also know how to kind of get other people there and you kind of appreciate their struggles and like, you know, whatever. I mean, the whole, the very word personality incidentally comes from the Greek persona, which was a mask that an actor wore facing the audience. And so I don't think masks or disguises are bad. I think it's, it's a way to direct your personality in a way that gives you a social presence, that gives you a voice. And I love being part of it. And I love that we're part of this fandom where that's just the norm. People are encouraged to do that. I think it's fucking fantastic. And it's absolutely the best part about what I get to do for a living. Thank you no. so much. That was way better. I, I, feel, I feel like I should just start clapping now. Sorry, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, thank you so much. That was terrific. That was, that was a great question. Uh, uh, that was a really good answer. question. What was the name of the Natural Arts. Natural Arts. Okay, that's easy to remember. <laughs> Natural Arts. <laughs> That's really cool. See, I noticed something he said. I heard uh, so, something similar over the past couple of years, uh, and Rusty may know this, from a lot of vloggers uh, who started out on YouTube, you know, eight years ago now? So longer than I never cared. <laughs> Back it. when we were painting on k -walls. But uh, they were talking around, and they said that they're not themselves when they were doing it, that that was the person they wanted to be. Right. And that they used that as kind of, you know, and a couple of them gone on now. One of them has a nighttime show on in DC or something. Yeah, yeah. But so, do you think that's the next way we're going to see? Is that someone takes their cosplay beyond modeling and full time acting? I think. I mean, I think it's certainly possible. I think what what I've already seen is a lot of people that that uh, cosplay or that you know make these outfits and, and go in these fashion shoots or whatever. They also they also end up being costumers, or, you know, for uh, big productions. And I mean, I knew somebody that was a cosplayer that went on to work for Cirque du Soleil. 
Um, and then again, was able to not only make costumes for himself, and, and but to make them for an entire cast, and not not to just find yourself in a costume, but to kind of see your whole personal vision extended to this entire cast it was also a wonderful feeling. Um, I think so. I mean, I think so. I think that kind of thing is kind of the it's it's sort of the natural conclusion or natural progression rather of that of that sort of thing. I think there's some point. I think Andy Warhol once upon a time in the '60s talked about everyone wanting their 15 minutes of fame. Well, now it's easy. Um, you know, to get it. And now it's easy to, you know, relatively easy. People always ask, well, how do you become an actor? How do you become an actor? And they think of it in terms of the old system. Like, well, how do I get to that studio and become famous and get that contract with that movie mogul? Or, or how do I get my foot in the door in Funimation? But the fact is, there is nothing stopping you from being an actor now. Nothing. You can make your own shit and put it out there on YouTube and it might get popular. It might suddenly, you know, catapult you to, to something that you never even expected. So I love that. We're living in a very democratic age of, of, of creativity, which I very much encourage. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. The way you just explained it made me think of the first Muppet movie. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm sorry, I had something crazy in my ear. <laughs> I like Muppets Take Manhattan too. Let's just let's all let's all appreciate that for a moment. What is it with the Muppets today? Sonny was talking about the Muppets. Here. Sonny loves the Muppets. Sonny Sonny did uh, he did a comic book adaptation of of uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. It was but it was with Muppets. Plus, Sunny, yeah. Plus, ABC's just now announced that they're going to be uh, possibly bringing the Muppet Show back. See, it's an exciting time to be that, alive, guys. <laughs> you have to admit, I've kind of been waiting for that to happen for like forty years. So, so are you, are you a big Muppet fan? Yes. So, have you ever seen some of the uh, the bootleg Muppets, like yes. Muppet Sex and Pistols? <coughs> yes. And, oh. Yes. And it's yes. <laughs> it's time to play the music. It's time to play the God, I would love to be on the Muppet Show. Anyone's listening? That's gonna make that happen. <clears throat> I mean, you could just Vin Diesel it at this point. That's how he got Groot. He's just like, right. I'm gonna be in Marvel, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be Marvel. It's like, what? And, and I gotta show up and be like Groot. He's gonna be like Black Bolt. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I kind of do that already. I show up to work, you? say one word, and now that's all I'm known for. Awesome! Yay! J Muppet Tank. J Muppet Tank. J Muppet Tank. What would my Muppet look like? I don't know. He would look like kind of tall, lanky. I'm like, yeah. I'm kind of self-conscious about that. I'd be like, is that what I look like? So wait, 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 wait. We, we can yeah, podcast you as a mother. Yeah, right. So he's going to be a little bit effeminate, have glasses. <laughs> you remember Guy Smiley? Yes. Guy Smiley. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry, I mean, fuck you. I didn't say it like that. <laughs> Hmm. Oh. So Marvel, since you said you're a comic fan, Marvel yes. has this new weird let's create animes. Some yeah. that, some that are great and then spin wars, which I still don't understand. <laughs> if I'm, I haven't seen it myself. It's, oh, it's oh. a Beyblade pops yeah, out. I was, I was about to say it's it's, uh, it's Marvel Pokemon. Where, where they have these little discs, and then, you know, Captain America jumps out. <laughs> Gotta catch them all, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> if you could be a Marvel-style Pokemon character of this nature, who would you want to voice oh, it? Oh, God. Oh, God. There's a, there's a, there's a zero. You cannot be, you cannot be Spider-Man. Side, by the way. Oh, I know. I'm like, what this is so insane. No. I think, I, God, I don't know. I'd really, I think I want to be Thor, but just on the off <laughs> chance that I could meet Chris Hemsworth and be like, hey, we're both Thor. You want to come back to my hotel room? Could be in the morning. I mean, right? Yeah. So, so then they could go crazy and be like, "Well, you get to be the female Thor this time." Oh. Or the female Loki. Female Loki. Oh, I don't know. I've never played female before. 
I don't know if I can get away with it in my voice. Hi, boys. <laughs> I think you could do a good Loki, though. I, mean, I, could, I, could, I would do Loki. I would do Loki. I can understand Loki. I feel like I could get. I could you, get my you, got, that. you got a little bit of. Little bit of I would uh, like to be Doctor uh, Strange too. Is that all? That's Marvel. He's Marvel. Yeah, yeah, Marvel. Marvel. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. I would like to be Doctor Strange. I think I would do that really well too. Well, I, mean, we'll do I like his sense of style. Make fun of things like the Eye of Agamotto. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I would dig that. Didn't isn't Benedict Cumberbatch yes. yeah. to play him? I agree with that. We, we, I, agree with I that. mean, we could recast you and put you as Doctor Strange. I mean, I don't want. I, if uh, I'm just saying, if it came down to an arm wrestling competition, I would probably win. But <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch might. I feel like my niece would win. Your niece would win? Against Benedict Cumberbatch? Oh, against you? I, I think me? I'm like, bring her. Benedict I don't care. Benedict Cumberbatch is like <laughs> as big as my pinky. He's very tiny. He's a very, no, he's tall, but he's like, he's very tiny. He don't want to wrestle a little girl. He doesn't care. I don't care. Bring her. I ain't afraid of her. I ain't afraid of her. <laughs> so you said you were a big comic book fan. Like, uh, what uh, series do you follow? Uh, Batman was my always my big one, and it's not even because I like Batman. I just like the villains. Uh, um, <laughs> he has the like, best villains. He does. Have um, he has like the best rogues gallery. I was a big Thor guy too when I grew up. I loved Thor. Like I don't know why. I was really into to like Greek and, and uh, Norse and just various mythologies other than, than than you know the sort of Western ones that I'd grown up with. So I loved that you know, the whole Thor universe because I knew it. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is all the shit I've been reading, but now in comic book form. Um, I really like the Eternals, which is really kind of obscure. And Neil Gaiman has brought that back, and it's really kind of neat what he's done with it. Uh, oh God, what else? It's been a while since I've been able to like actually follow a series, but I like to pick up now and again. I usually like the ones. Like, uh, what am I reading now? It's uh, Lock and Key, um, which is really fantastic. It's kind of this horror comic haunted house sort of yeah. thing. I, I could go into hours, but that is a brilliant, brilliant comic. And uh, Secret Six. Love Secret Six. Holy shit. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yes. She is amazing. Oh my god. Hands down, one of the best writers in the genre ever to exist. Period. So love since Secret you Six. love Lock and Key, mm-hmm. and we know that I think it's think it's an animation. I don't mm-hmm. think they're going live action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you get to be in it. Is that, is that, would that be like one of your... You I, do it? I, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it because I don't want to jinx myself. That's how much I love. Yeah, if I, yes, I would totally be in it. as anything. I don't give a shit. I would be. You could be Frog Thor. I would be sure. I will be. <laughs> God, that would be awesome. I didn't know they were doing an animation. Really. I think. I think. I it's, thought it was a live action series. I dude, it's a Stephen King thing. You, well, his son. You can't do live action, and it all ends up being like nine hours long, and no one's going to sit through that. I thought, there was, a, I thought yeah. there was a promo for a live action series a while back. Like, I mean, I do it live action too. I mean, I've got a good face for. You could be Frog radio. Thor still. <laughs> Just get the costume. That's the best Thor. It's your <laughs> I love it. Anybody else have that one to dominate? <laughs> I love the, this. We were just like, uh, we have lost oh. control of this room. Yeah, well, listen, it's not the first time. <laughs> it won't be the last. Well, um, the works that I'm most familiar with you, you generally have a uh, very good British accent. My cousin's yes. wife even compliments you on your accent, and she's from Wales. Wow, my family is from Wales, actually. So that's that's kind of where it comes from a little bit. I'm, I was Texas born, but but uh, but my grandparents were off the boat, as it were, well off the plane. But <laughs> but but yeah, I uh, the getting back to my speech impediment was a little kid. Uh, so my one of my my biggest influences on getting the stage was was this little lady. Actually, her name was Mrs. Britt. Not shitting you, um, who was British. And she was like fabulously British. She was everybody's BBC grandma ideal of like this thousand year old British woman with like this bun of hair that accounted for like a full foot of her height. 
And she would say, the rain in Spain falls mainly in the plains. And we'd give you little rewards, like put a little mint on your tongue with a pair of tongs if you did something correctly. It was it was super old-fashioned. It was like... Did she go like little... straight Henry Higgins? If you yes, wrong? yes, kind of, and and it was it was really a lot. But she was a lot of fun. But she was one that had ties to the theater and kind of um, told me to pursue it. But uh, because of, so I kind of learned how to speak too from a Brit. So that that English accent came very easily to me. Uh, it's very nerve wracking though when and, and Matt and several others can tell you this. There's so many different British accents. You can't go more than five feet uh, over there without running into a different dialect. And they're all like, you sound nothing like this, you know, but I do, da, da, da. And uh, recently I had the great good pleasure, I can't talk about the project, but I had the, the great good pleasure to play a Brit for a Brit who was directing me. And he kept, like, he was great, he was wonderful, but he kept saying stuff like, okay, so you're doing this right, and that's a good accent, but you're sounding a little northern now. Let's bring it down to like Sussex and so a little bit to the right. And then, so those, those T's are a little less clipped, a little less rounded out from the end there, and you got it. And I'm like... You all sound the same to us. I just want you to know that. <laughs> he laughed. But I mean, so, but I mean, so it became this thing. But at the end of it, you know, I just, we had, we had our fun. And at the end of it, you know, he said, thank you. So uh, I was like, you'll never, you will never understand what it's like doing a British accent for a British director. He's like, oh, actually, I would call you deeply competent, which is effusive praise from a Brit. So I'm like, wow, I feel like I've got it down. I use the British accent for evil all the time, all the time. Because, I mean, it's a great... That's, there's a reason every villain in every American movie is British. Yeah. They were like, hello, how are you? Yes, we run the Death Star. The old idiot <laughs> joke. Something about... Uh, as there's, they ran the world for hundreds of years because they have that voice that can get away with saying, hello there, how are you? Look at those feathers, you look amazing. Do you like these beads, these nice shiny beads? Do you? You take those, and I shall take all the land from here to the horizon. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Only the Brits get away with that. Americans are like, no. <laughs> hey, give us your shit. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, get off our land. But it's our land. It's ours now. That would see your name on it. Yeah, like, well, like, come on. Well, where am I supposed to go? Back the way you came? <laughs> they don't like me over there. <laughs> Sounds like a you problem, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, we just had a really weird episode of Italia Meets a Deadwood. <laughs> I love it. So, so do you ever find yourself slipping in and out of your characters uh, All the time. outside of work? All the time. Starbucks. Usually just because I'm bored. And I'll, the British voice, too, like it just does something to, to people when they hear you speak that voice. Like you might be a five. But you use British instant six, seven, eight, whatever. You're like, you know, hello, bing. Suddenly everyone's like, oh, oh my God, I want to have your babies. Um, I was in a hotel. I was in a hotel uh, a couple of years ago uh, after a con, and the con was done and over. It had moved on, and I was still at the hotel because I was staying in town to uh, meet with some friends. And there's nothing sadder on earth uh, to me than a convention hotel after the convention has left. Because it's like everything goes back to normal. It's like the circus has left town. There's just that empty field with like the, you know, flyers fluttering on the, ble- the breeze and you know, the vague scent of elephant dung. And like, you know, you're just like, oh, it's, the magic is gone. You know, no gone are the cosplayers and all the people going, oh my God, or Marco Polo, whatever. It's all gone. <laughs> and there's now just sad salarymen kind of shuffling to their room with their drinks to watch porn. And it's it's devastating. So I was not done being on, uh, which I'm frequently not. And so I decided to have a little fun with the hotel staff who had turned over and were not the same people that were there during the con. So 
new blood, fresh, fresh victims. And so I went to the concierge desk with my Sebastian accent and sort of just totally just flirting with this girl. Just going, like, hello, sorry. I'm just wondering if there's any sort of place around here that was in walking distance that I could get a nice cup of tea or whatever. And she just is looking at me. And I thought I had her. I really did. Because she looked, you know, she just first just was kind of eyes just big. And she's like, uh-uh, stop it. What is that coming out of your mouth? Stop. And I'm like, oh, shit, what's this? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, is something more? She's like, uh-uh, what did I just say? Deborah, come here, Deborah. Deborah comes over. Deborah's this girl, uh, also with a name badge on. And she's like, say something. And I'm like, uh, hello, Deborah, how are you? Nice to meet you. Just, she stops me, no, uh no. See, if you were my boyfriend and you spoke like that to anybody else, I would kick your fucking ass. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm stuck in this voice for the rest of my stay. Yeah, so it gets me into trouble all the time. <laughs> it's great people like because they always say, "Where are you from?" and I'm like, "Oh, Brooklyn." <laughs> <laughs> Just to blow their minds. Oh, that's. <laughs> I'm an asshole. I'm such an asshole. Like I shouldn't be let out in public. I just like messing with people. We I don't should, know why. We should tell them about the app. Then. Oh damn it! Damn it, Rusty. What's Fine. the app? What's the app? Tell okay, them, talk to me. So Rusty, this morning, uh, was reading. What, what are you reading? Seen that? Yeah, just re- odd ways to wake people up. Yeah, and there's apparently this app called Wakey. And what Wakey is Already. is it's a it's a service. You know, you everything's done through the app. And you can request a wake-up call be sent to you by a random stranger. And um, no phone numbers are exchanged, but, you know, you get a profile pic, which I'm sure is totally representative of the person calling you. And, like, a first name or something like that. As he searches for it. I just, yeah, I'm just going to, sorry, yeah, this is <laughs> It is an exciting time to be alive. <laughs> Very much is. Yeah, I, I believe I've just found your new hobby. Okay, so um, go on. So, you can either you know sign up to have someone call you a designated time, or you can you know get into the queue to call someone when they have an alarm. So it's it's like a, a, a call center that's done completely during nap and nobody gets paid. Um, uh, yet, but you know you have sixty seconds to wake the person up and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it works exactly the way you think it does. <laughs> it's like chat roulette meets your alarm clock, and you just oh, get to that. That's not the image <laughs> that I want. Like. It's so wrong. You chat roulette. I'm like, so someone wakes me up by slapping a random dick on my face. Is that, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that okay. doesn't actually sound half bad. But I mean, <laughs> just saying, that's a lot to wake up to. I don't know. I need my coffee. Well, just imagine the audio version of a chat roulette, which yes. is probably worse. Because you can't see what the <laughs> 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 Okay, I'm not going to lie. That sounds fiendish, and I love it. And I'm going to tell all my friends to get it so I can fuck with them. <laughs> I mean, they used to have, I used to have actually uh, I used to own a clock. Uh, that was like this little thing I got because it was a novelty item, and I don't know if they're around anymore. But it, it's a, a roving clock, so it will go and hide when you hit snooze, <laughs> and you ha- it will. It's like a little robot, little and you have, and it'll go off again in five minutes. So you have to get up out of bed and find it. And the idea is the mentally in- the mental energy you have to marshal towards finding this fucking thing wakes you up because it's too easy to be like next to the bed. But if it gets up and moves, you're like, you son of a bitch, where fuck, where is it? And, <laughs> and then yeah. you have to start it again when you go yeah. to sleep. Right. Huh. And you hit snooze, and it doesn't matter. Be like, I'm going to go over here now. It's like having a child. Because, like, we have guns, and this is America. I feel like everyone would shoot the thing. 
I feel like I feel like I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, but then you have to. But then that's gonna wake you up too. So I mean, either way, it works. You're putting your alarm clock across the room from your bed, <laughs> so you have to get up to turn it off. Right. <laughs> so uh, when can we expect the J. Michael Tatum wakey special uh, on the internet? <laughs> wakey special. Yeah, or it's it like porn. <laughs> J. Michael Tatum wakey special. It's, it's a sexual position. It's clearly it's a, it's a sexual position. It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty much whatever you want. You just have to use house shoes. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just, it's very uncreative. Sorry. I'm working on it. I'll get back to you. Okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I expect updates and awesome. photos and videos and whatever. I've been sitting on this there? fart app for the past 15 minutes wanting to use it and I can't because it's just, it's... I mean... We were I, talking about apps and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's... This is what I do with technology. Yeah. Thanks for classing it up, Dan. <laughs> my favorite fart sound in the world, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> There's like 18 different fart sounds on that phone. I think 18. this is how you should start out all your panels from now. Yeah. I think I'm going to do that. Let's start out with a fart, because then all the awkwardness is out of the room. Right, right. It's like if you're the guy that farts in the elevator and you just own it, everyone laughs. You're like, sorry, sorry, sorry. You guys are going to hate me. Yeah. I'm, oh, God. Woo, sorry. That, was, that was hot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like a golf game going on down there. I don't know. <laughs> Mm. Okay, <sighs> I'm, I'm gonna bring in for a minute. Um, you know, you talked about different people in your life at different points that have sort yeah. of influenced your career. Who would you say has had the biggest influence on your career, either in terms of just encouragement or professional development? Or I like think that? you know a lot of people in this business is so so filled with people that are so cool and so chill and so talented and so generous with their talent. Um, obviously I owe a lot to Christopher Bevins who just heard something in my voice that I did not and insisted, uh, vehemently that I come in to record. It's so, so sure that I, you know, that I would do well that he felt happy to trick me <laughs> into doing this. And that, that, that takes a certain kind of person to, to really do that for someone else. Cause I mean, he was really putting himself on the line vouching for someone who not only was untested, but reluctant. Uh, to come in and so I, I owe a lot to him and the man's still a dear friend because of uh, going out because I mean I can't imagine what I'd be doing with my life if I hadn't you know uh, marketing you know, marketing no I don't want to think about that I don't want to think about that no no um but I just, it's so, Bevins is, of course, the, you know, the hugest influence. And I think he, he kind of taught me how to be an actor again. And I hadn't really thought about it in a very long time. Um, I've had so many great influences uh, in my life. Uh, my grandparents were one uh, because they were around both very cosmopolitan people. My grandmother was a lit professor and just all around sort of. Uh, dilettante, and my grandfather was a pianist, this crazy you know jazz pianist who loved to just kind of he was he was the exact opposite of my grandmother. It was night and day, but they got along so well and they were huge influences on me because they kind of took me and were like, you know, hey, read, read, play, just do artsy stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. So I never felt judged. I had this this uh, this safe space to express myself in. And they always encouraged me to experiment with with new modes of expression. Like I could bang the shit out of that piano if I wanted to. They, you know, there were no rules. As my grandfather said, there are no wrong keys on this. You know, no wrong notes on this piano. And so it was great. And I think it gave me the confidence to to later use uh, in my career. And getting back to one of the things I love most about what I do is acting is very rewarding and it's very fun. And the things you get to learn about yourself as a person as you kind of peel away the onion layers of this or that character that you happen to be voicing or performing um, is, you know, the fact that you never really know how it's going to touch other people. 
Um, and you just don't. I mean, you have no idea what this may be. You know, this may be two or three hours of work to you that you remember fondly, uh, and then you go home and never think about it again. You know, until someone brings it up and says, "Oh my God!" You know, watching this really got me through a tough time in my life, or watching this, you know, made me realize that, "Oh, that's me. I, I understand myself a little better now because this character." And you just, I, I've learned to take that responsibility very, very seriously because I realize that there are a lot of people like that in my life that helped me find myself, uh, whether they knew it or not. And I think just something about something about you know the the chances I've been given and the great good luck I've had, which I, I repeating I have no right to the luck I have, absolutely no right to the luck I have. So I just try I just try my damnedest every day to to earn it in retrospect, you know, to try to retrofit <laughs> some kind of humility on this crazy crazy chance I've been given. Um, so there there have been a lot of people I would not be who I am, not even close. Uh, to what I am if, if it weren't for other people in my life. I need them. I need people. Absolutely. Even you people in this exchange right here means something to me. And I will walk away from this this cool little afternoon session of us just cutting up and getting deep and then saying fart jokes and dick jokes, you know, all in the same, like, 30 minutes. I, this means something to me. And, you know, I, I've changed because of it. So, I mean, it's, I think, yeah, there's been, I think everyone I've met in my life has been influenced to some degree. Well, thank you. This has certainly been a, a wonderful influence for us. Before we let you go, um, anything you want to pimp out? You know, social media or, or anything like that? Uh, I do want to pimp out one thing that I forgot to talk about. My first on-camera gig in ages, uh, Doctor Who, The Soldier Story, is a fan series that, that I was working on with the guys at uh, Take One Productions and, and Ballyhoo, which are really, really cool. Out in Tulsa, of all things. It's a fan series kind of based in the Doctor Who universe, and I got to be the, the villain for the first episode. Uh, check it out. It's really cool. It's called uh, Doctor Who, The Soldier Stories, and episode one is called Only Orders. And I'm, I'm feature, Me and my, my, my mug are, are all over it. And so, you're British, and I'm not. I'm not British, and actually, I'm not British. It's 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 supposed to take place in the states, so I'm not British. I mean, that's not to say it won't become British. <clears throat> the Doctor Who is um, in, is American. Is Doctor Who is not in it. It simply takes place in that universe, okay. oh, and he's okay. he's referenced. He's he's kind of a force to reckon with, and he's part of the mythos. But so far, he's not in it. But uh, that that might change. But yeah, but it takes place in America. It's a Doctor Who fan series. It takes place in that universe in America, and I'm very 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 proud to get to be part of it. So. Check it out. Doctor Who the Soldier Stories. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. It's been a, a tremendous pleasure, and we appreciate the time. Thank you.